0: Um, Well, welcome to church. It's good to see you all here. Uh, It's lovely having Beck on staff. Um, She's going to do an amazing job. I've got to say, she's one of the brightest, friendliest, most impressive young people I've ever met. So, I don't know, now she's hiding. But um, we're so grateful that you've you've joined the staff team, Beck. So thank you. Um, The goal, of course, is we want our church to be just a really friendly, welcoming place where you can be integrated and become a disciple. I sometimes think church is a bit like you're know, like a full restaurant. You walk by and you can see all this life going on. It looks great inside, but it's hard to get a seat at the table. And of course, you know I think what we we're encouraging Beck to do, but really her cheering all of us on is to say we want to always make sure there's a seat at the table, right? There's always room at the church for people to come and make friends and community and become disciples. So, welcome back. Um, Emma, are you going to be at church next Sunday? You will? Okay. We'll get you up. She gets married in a week. I thought we don't want to let her go if she's uh, not here next Sunday. Can't wait for your wedding. That is going to be awesome. Bring it on. Alright, the last four weeks we've um, kicked off our new series in the book of Ephesians. Did you enjoy Adam's talk last Sunday? Um, I thought he did a great job. Nice of him to put that together when you're in like a serious corporate role and you just write a little sermon on the side for everyone at church. So he's a pretty gifted guy. Um, But he, he spoke about helping us to understand and experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love that in that one verse in Ephesians that he spoke about, we get the past, the present and the future. We get that past promise that God will pour out his Holy Spirit uh, on all who believe. Uh, We get the present reality of the deposit of the Holy Spirit alive in us with all the things Adam talked about, like changing our character and giving us gifts and giving us assurance of our salvation. And then this idea that it's actually also a future deposit of our future inheritance right we know that God will one day make all things new and we know that because he's doing that right now Um, to be honest I'd love to continue just talking about that Um, the language of the New Testament is dripping with the life of the spirit and I think that's important because you know we may not be able to physically walk with Jesus or talk with Jesus But really the promise of the Bible is that his presence is just as alive today in the life of the church and in a believer's life. So such important message last Sunday. All right, let's read Ephesians 1, 15 to 18. Uh, If you're in the diagram and you're wondering, that's where we're up to, um, where we just circled in the pink. So we're really racing ahead in the book of Ephesians. You know, we're five weeks in and we've got to there. Um, It changes gear a bit now. Uh, Paul goes from reminding them of the glorious riches of the gospel, all the incredible things that they received when they believed, to praying for the Ephesians so Ephesians goes from being a sermon into a prayer and I hope that we're going to learn to pray as boldly and as extravagantly as Paul and of course we might experience what he prays for us so Ephesians 1 15 to 18. If you've got a Bible, they are occasionally useful at church. So open it up. Or it's up on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Amen. Now... That prayer that Paul begins, begins to pray actually continues on for another five verses. And we're going to look at that next week. Uh, and that is about receiving power for us who believe. Uh, there's, there's this verse that you, know, you could spend a year just dwelling on where Paul says it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within us. Um, I figure that needs its very own week to, to preach on. Uh, unless you want to be here till 7pm. Do you? Do No, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll park that to next week. So let's focus on this great prayer for wisdom, for revelation, and for enlightenment. Well, what a blessing to hear the Apostle Paul pray. Remember, this is the prayer of a man who was a persecutor and a hater of the early church. Don't forget that it wasn't that many years before... That he thought that the gospel was foolish. He thought that the Christian message needed to be eradicated from the face of the earth. And he set it as his life mission to find Christians, find believers, and have them punished. But then he had a revelation the eyes of his heart were enlightened. On the way to Damascus to persecute Christians, the risen Jesus appeared to him. He saw Jesus. He came to know Jesus. He confessed Jesus as Lord. Jesus changed his life. So when he prays that they may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but they may know Jesus, I'm assuming he's praying that they will have a revelation of the Lord like he had had. And that's his prayer, that you might know Jesus more deeply. And that will change everything. We've already heard Paul preach. This is a very, very rich book. Already we've heard him preach in those first 14 verses about the glorious riches of the gospel, about salvation, about the gift of the Holy Spirit, about forgiveness, about redemption, about receiving grace and peace. It's okay to feel overwhelmed when you read Paul. He's already preached about being chosen and adopted, about our glorious inheritance. And all that leads Paul to remember the people who he had done life with in his two years in the city of Ephesus. And when he thinks about them, he wants to pray for them. I wonder if you ever do that, you know, you you think of someone and immediately you just want to pray for them. Oh, Charlie, he he needs prayer, you know, or... (laughs) You think of someone who's maybe in a bit of trouble. And immediately that stirs you to wanting to pray. Well, Paul loves the children of God in Ephesus. And so he prays for them. And I love hearing him pray. So listen again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So, you know, Paul's prayer comes amidst awful circumstances. He's not on a spiritual retreat overlooking the northern beaches of Sydney. He's not sitting in a beautiful church like this. He is in prison And in fact, he's been in prison at this stage for five years, three years in Caesarea and now two years in Rome. And his prayer is that they may know Christ like he does. Now, I'm sure there were other prayers, maybe not as eloquent that Paul prayed uh, in prison. Help. I'm sure he prayed just help at certain stages. Do you ever pray like that? Uh, I'm sure Paul probably prayed for release from prison and from his circumstances. I'm sure he probably asked, God, why? Why is this my life? And why was a perfectly good question for a student of the Old Testament. The book of Psalms is full of agonised prayers of why. Think of Psalm 6. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Okay? It's okay to pray prayers of anguish. But by grace, Paul does not pray for himself or for his circumstances, but thinking of the Ephesians and their faith in God, their love for one another, he prays for them. Verse 16, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so we're going to get an insight into the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. So we can jointly, uh, join, boldly join Paul in praying. He prays, I want to know you, God. Uh, the, you know, the God who fully revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. I want to know you. I want to know you. That's the the main burden of his prayer. I want to know God. I want to know not just about God, but I want to know him intimately, personally. The God that I met on the road to Damascus and who has been with me ever since. I want you to know this God. Now, just a quick aside. How does Paul address God? As a Jewish man and a student of the Old Testament who studied under Rabbi Gamaliel, he would have loved to have prayed to the God of Israel. Right? In the Old Testament, that's how they addressed God in their prayers. God of Israel. And the reason they prayed that way is that is the way that God had made himself known to his people through his actions in the story of the Old Testament. But watch the shift. Because now instead of praying to the God of Israel, he prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? The God he prays to, the God he wants us to know and experience closely, is the God who revealed himself in Jesus. The one who in John chapter 14 said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. See, nothing compares to the revelation that he had received and that we can receive in meeting Jesus. So this is God's full revelation, the one who would lay down his life on a cross for you and for me. You want to know God? Get to know the God who is fully present in his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul prays, I want you to know this God And the benefits of knowing this God. Now this assumes, does it not, that God can be known. Which is why we need revelation and enlightenment. Now maybe just to equip us a little bit in apologetics. Apologetics is just giving a defence or a reason for your faith. So Carly might be at work and someone says, What do you believe? You want to be able to give a reason for the things that you believe. So revelation... Is so important. Now we can guess about God, or even if there is a God from what we see from creation, uh, and much of human history is humanity's attempt to try and know God. By and large, we create God in our own image. But to know God, do we not really need for Him to reveal Himself to us? I think it's the same in any relationship. In order to know anyone deeply, the person must reveal who they are to us. That's why women always ask men, what are you thinking? And honestly, I'm not thinking anything. Right? I think Victoria sometimes asks me that, hoping that I'm having some deep, profound series of thoughts. And I'm actually thinking about a game of rugby league I watched eight years ago on a Saturday afternoon. But why do, they, why, do they, why do women ask that question? Why do we ask each other questions? Because we want to know each other, right? We want to know. I mean, for women, it's often, is there anything going on up here? Like anything at all that you can give us insight into? And there isn't always for me. But it's because they want to know us and know us deeply. Uh, I had the privilege of studying theology in Vancouver um, 15 years ago at Regent College and I made many lifelong friends but I remember there was this one guy Rob who started two years uh, sorry the second year into college that I was there. Now Rob was good looking, he carried a guitar around and so I made all kinds of assumptions about him right. Uh, I guessed what he was like. Oh, how I judged him, right? In my mind, I made all kinds of judgments. Uh, You know, too cool for school. What a, you know. But then a group of us used to go on these amazing weekends away to Galliano Island, and someone invited Rob. And ouch! I got to meet him and to really get to know him. And he was like the nicest bloke you could possibly meet. And it turned out that as I got to really know him, that he had been the son of a missionary doctor in Angola who had given up everything to serve the world's poorest people through the 20 years of their civil war. And Rob had had polio and his legs had been weakened. And he had lots of struggles in his own life. And through that weekend and from there on, we became really good friends. And I came to know this amazing bloke. You see, you can't know someone until you truly meet them and they reveal things about themselves. And in the same way, Paul prays that we will come to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus reshapes any guessing that we might have about who God is. God is not the universe, God is not like water. God is not the fertility goddess Artemis. He is not an angry thrower of lightning bolts. God is Jesus, who heals the sick, who sees the broken on the side of the road and stops and has compassion. He is the one who teaches us about forgiveness, who teaches us about grace and truth God is most fully known in His Son who lays down His life on a cross so that we can be forgiven and redeemed and become the children of God. Paul prays that you may know this God. And to know in this way, Paul prays that we, verse 17, may be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened to know the hope to which we have been called. That we may know this God. He's not asking God would we'll give them the Holy Spirit. That's done. If you're a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. But instead he is praying for a particular work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is asking that the Spirit may give the Ephesians wisdom and revelation. Now, wisdom refers to skill. It refers to know-how. So Paul prays that they will get the know-hows of the how-to-knows. Is that clear? Right? They're going to get the know-hows of the how-to-knows. Right? That they'll be skilled in getting to know God. Good? Moving on. And that they will get revelation. Now, the Greek word here is apocalypso, from which we get the word apocalypse. Now, we sometimes wrongly use this word to refer to cataclysmic events that happen around the world. But in the first century, the word apocalypso simply means an opening up. It means an uncovering, like the opening of the door or the pulling back of a stage curtain so that you can see what is truly going on. Paul is asking that God may pull back the curtain so that we might more fully know the God who Jesus is. Does that make sense? Can you see why Paul prayed that? that? That's exactly what had happened to him. On that road to Damascus, the curtain of reality had been pulled back and he met the risen Jesus. And so he's praying that you would have an apocalypse though. He would pray that you would have a pulling back moment where you see God clearly. So we join in that prayer. Pull back this curtain, God, so that we might know you. Just to finish today. Why is this Paul's prayer? Why is this Paul's prayer? Why does he, when he remembers them, why is this the very first thing He longs for them to experience wisdom, revelation and enlightenment. Why does he long that they would have an intimate knowing of God in Jesus Christ and the hope to which they've been called? And I think the answer is, because if you can see God clearly, everything else comes into perspective. Everything else begins to make sense. Now, the predominant worldview in the world today is scientific materialism, right? What we see is what we get. You know, if you can't touch it or see it or measure it, then there's nothing beyond that reality. There's no hope beyond the grave. Indeed, for many who find themselves in that worldview, there's no hope in this life. Um, It's like Jack Nicholson, as good as it gets. He says, what if this is as good as it gets, right? There's nothing more. There's no other reality. It's just this. But Paul knows that if we get a revelation, if we come to know God in Jesus Christ, everything else becomes clear. It makes sense. Why do we exist? Why is there something rather than absolutely nothing in the universe? It makes sense in light of Jesus as to why we are broken and fallen and need help. It makes sense of our searching for meaning and purpose and to experience love. It makes sense of our longing for eternity and that kind of primal search and urge that we have to know God. So in the words of verse 18, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And then once we get to know this God, we get a new set of lenses or glasses through which we get to see the world. You know, Paul was just another religious extremist. And then he met Jesus. He had an apocalypse He had a revelation. The curtain was pulled back. He met Jesus and it changed everything. And see, once he knew God, he was capable of a deep love that he was never before able to experience. You know, once he knew God, he was capable of a love that is patient and kind, that is not self-seeking, not easily angered, that doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Isn't that amazing? Just think for a second. We read that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 at so many weddings about the nature of love. And the one who wrote it was a violent, angry persecutor of the early Christians. Until he had an apocalypse, until he saw God clearly, and then his heart got filled with love. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Right? It's not only that we come to know that this is true and true reality. But through this, we get to see everything in life becomes clear. May you know Jesus Christ and by and through him see everything clearly. Amen.